Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's set the background here a little bit for uh, these verses, these 30 or so verses uh, before our reading this morning. In the beginning of chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas set out on the first of their three missionary journeys, leaving from the northwest of uh, the, the of of the nation of Israel, best way to put it. Uh, they head out into the Mediterranean. They land at their first place. The, we have that story of an interaction there. And then they move from there and move straight north out of the Mediterranean, uh, I think southern Turkey, somewhere in that general area today. Here is where they have landed. Here is where we find Paul and Barnabas. Here is where the message and the journey begins. And they go straight into the synagogues because the Jews, there are some who live outside of Palestine. They live in other synagogues. They've known about this Jesus. They've no doubt heard about him. This is several years later. They've known that this Jesus came and said, hey, the kingdom of God is present. I'm the kingdom of God. I am the son of God. I didn't just come to heal people. I came to bring salvation to the Jews first. Secondly, to the Gentiles. And there are many converts. There are Jews in this day who say, absolutely, we get it. This message that Paul is bringing us, we have heard probably either from Jesus himself or other emissaries, other ambassadors of Christ. They've heard this message of salvation through Christ alone. They've relished in that message, and yet they still are practicing Jewish ways of church. They're still participating in the sacrificial system. They're still hearing from the Torah and the rabbis. They're still going about church their old way. Even though what Jesus brings into their churchliness is this new way of living, a new way of life, a new way of understanding. And yet they hold on to the traditions that they're comfortable with. And we read this and we go, what is their problem? I mean, Jesus has come in, right? Don't we just love to blast the first century church? Anybody else just love to really feel good about yourself? And just, those horrible Christians, we, if I'd have been there, we'd have gotten it right. Right? Amen? Anybody? You're wrong? Yeah, you're in that group with me. Yeah. I mean, I am good. At, I, wow, those people, they missed out. What is it for you? What tradition do you hold on to in your life that if somebody said, I want you to put that aside, there's new information that's come in, and that's not a good thing to, to do anymore. I want you to tell your neighbor that. Just go ahead and do, just do that right. What, what, is that, what is that tradition that you just, it would be really hard for you to let go of? Huh. See, if I voice it, Hmm. Yeah, see, you're whispering because you don't want to hear any neighbors. You don't want anybody else hearing this right now. Because it's like, wait a minute, what if he, what if, what if I say it out loud and it's one of the things he's now, because I'm sure he's going to attack this, right? Okay. So let's just say doctors come out and they say, hand washing before meals, not good. Not, it's just not good. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for... And you, I mean, yeah, your faces are just going, whoa, new, new, new. 
We wash all the gunk off of the food and our hands. And I mean, my kids, if they come to the table, I know where their hands have been. <laughs> right? I, I mean, think about it. That would be a tough one, right? What if all of a sudden we said, yeah, Christmas, this uh, gift giving thing has gotten overboard. That, I, that's it. We're not doing it. Any, the church is not going to uh, encourage gift giving ever again with Christmas. And we came up with some, I don't know, Bible verse or something to make it sound holier than what it is. And, and uh, you believed it, okay? And uh, how, how many of you would struggle with that one right there? I mean, you just struggle because you know you're not going to get anything? <laughs> That's where the truth comes out. <laughs> okay, so here, let's be fair. Let's be fair with the first century Jews. They have a history of being told, this is how you do church. This is what you walk in. This is, you got this kind of sin, you, you, you kill this kind of dove. And if you got this sin over here and you do it, and over at this time of the year you do, you celebrate this festival and that thing. And, and we do the same thing. We call them holidays. And they, may, they may or may not have a religious background to them, but we follow a schedule. We look at the calendar. We're no different. And it was comfortable, and they kind of knew what time of the year it was. And man, we look up here, and we know when the colors change. Oh, well, we're getting ready to go to blue. No, we're not. That's back, that's in November. Don't worry. I know, green is forever. <laughs> and we, we kind of write ourselves along in the year of kind of going, well, where are we? Where exactly in the story of Jesus are we? I mean, you, this church, weird, they don't follow the pericopes. Yeah, P-E-R-I-C-O-P-E. -E. You thought it was pericope. I know, that's okay. No, we don't follow the pericopes. That weirds some people out. So what is it? What is it about tradition? What is it about following the way that is very comfortable that makes it so hard that when Jesus comes in and blows the whole thing up, that we go, no, I still got to hold on to that. Rather than go, wait a minute, Jesus just blew the whole thing up. Why can't we go there? Our text, our text this morning starts with Paul in verse 36, I think this is maybe a clue as to why we hold on to the things that we're most comfortable with. It's this first sentence. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. You say, what, what has that got to do with anything? Think about it. Here's the young warrior king, David, selected from his brothers, right? When Samuel comes in, well, uh, you know, Jesse says, well, here, here's my, my big son, my next biggest son, my next biggest son, my next biggest son, my next biggest son, and all of a sudden we're down here. And 
Isn't there another one? Yeah, little Davy? Yeah, he's, he's out. You don't want him. He's the littlest kid. No, I want him. I want him. He is the next king. And David ascends to this, right? And how does David do battle? Let's remember that. He, what is he really skilled at doing? At killing the bears, the lions, the, uh, the wolves that come in to attack the sheep. He, he's a sling thrower, a stone slinger, if you will. Because when he, he says, uh, when, when Goliath comes on the scene and Goliath is, who will fight me? And David's going, how come nobody's going out and chopping that dude's head off? And they're like, have you seen how big he is? And David doesn't have that fear. He has the fear of the Lord. And yet Saul brings him in, tries to put his armor on, tries to make him fight the battle the way he thinks it should be fought. And David's going, I don't need, I don't need this helmet. I don't need this breastplate. I don't need this sword. I just need five smooth stones. And David goes out and he kills Goliath and he takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off and they rout the Philistines and everyone's, yay! This eye's awesome! And Saul realizes the people want to follow David and Saul tries to kill David over and over and over again. And then finally David ascends the throne. Finally, the nation of Israel begins to expand under David's leadership and they fight and the area expands exponentially. Literally, in the lands that they own under King David, it's awesome. And David does his thing. And then towards the end of his life, he says, God, I want to honor you. I want to bless you. Let me build you a building, a new temple. And God goes, awesome idea. It's not for you to do. David, when he had served God's purpose in his own generation, died. I think the reason we hold on to traditions is because we're trying to hold on to our life. I think the reason we hold on to, to how we grew up is because there are certain fond memories. And whether that was in church or out of church, it doesn't matter. I think we try to hold on to all of those kinds of traditions because we realize this life is short. Now, there's not a teenager in here this morning that goes, yeah, I know, my parents keep saying the same thing. Huh, weird. <laughs> but there's others of you that are in my decade, a very silver hairish, whitish, remember, Scripture calls that a crown of splendor. <laughs> <laughs> and above... And you're realizing life is short. Mortality hits, and I think what we have a tendency to do is to hold on. When we believe that life is about over, or the things that we remember, we begin to hold on with everything we can, and we don't want to see any change. So when Jesus comes on the scene, blows the whole thing up, the first century Jews, as well as us, go, really? Re now you want me to change? Some of you have come to, lot, come to faith later in life. And you realize, you mean, my, my friends are going to have to change? The way I interact with my family is going to have to change? Change? 
I don't want to change. I want to do what, what, I, what I've always wanted to do and the way God kind of has raised me and, and moved me and shaped me. It change? Can you believe this morning there was not an electric guitar and drums playing? I, what is up with Marcus this morning? I came to worship and I wanted to thumping, pumping. I wanted to be going. I was ready to have the Spirit launch me. And he does an acoustical set. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> because we hold on to our traditions. He was buried, which means that he died. And Paul uses the fact that David, quite frankly, was used. He did God's bidding and he did God's will. And when God was done, he called him home. And if you're not home yet, it's because God's not done with you yet. I wish he would. I'm dealing with cancer. I wish he would. I'm so alone. I wish he would. On and on and on and on. Every excuse in the book except living. <sighs> we don't even make that choice. Well, I guess I'm alive today. The Lord didn't take me home. Oh, well. I, I Really? Maybe you're alive today to live. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. And see, this is where he, Paul, I love when he preaches, he begins to make this switch. You know, David, he did his thing, he died, and you know what? God allowed his body to decay. But the one whose body didn't decay, notice that nice little transition there. But the wait, the body that didn't decay, Jesus Christ, the one that conquered death in the grave, the one that I sent, God says, the one that lived the perfect life, huh, he's alive. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Do you understand that this is the defining message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That your sins are forgiven. And you don't think that that's important? Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, we hear it. We, my sins are forgiven. You even make the sign of the cross thing. It must happen. I don't understand it. It's all good. The forgiveness of your sins. This is huge. He, he says, look, through whom everyone who believes and is justified from everything that you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. So let's just bust through that this morning. I mean, let's make sure we're on the same page. Let's understand it. First and foremost, thou shalt have no other gods before me. How are you guys doing with that this week? Huh? Anybody worship any other gods this week? Anyone? Anyone? Two, three, four, five, half a dozen truthful people. The rest of all are liars. That's coming up later. <laughs> We're walking right through them. You say, no, 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 I don't have an idol. Yes, you do. Yes, you absolutely do. It's time, or it's money, or it's prestige, or it's power. And you give your effort and your best day to it because you think you are trying to work life the way that makes it blessing for you. And you're going to create it all. You have another God. 
When you don't die to yourself and say, Jesus, what now? What's next? When you don't say that in every moment, you are God. I'm just letting you know, first commandment rule breaker right there. Secondly, taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. Many of you took your marriage vows in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you have been unfaithful to your spouse. Your eye has gone where it should not have been. You have spoken harshly. You have not forgiven. You absolutely have not honored the vow in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Well, Pastor, uh, we're here. (laughs) We got this one. Uh Uh-huh. Jesus says, I'm tired of your vain repetitions. I'm sick and tired of you saying, oh, it's Sunday, I guess we got to go to church. You don't have a heart that's inclined towards me. You're not honoring the Sabbath day. You don't keep it holy. Man, if you could move this along, Pastor. <laughs> There's some preseason games we could get to. There's, I mean, this is like a warm day. We could be out picnic. I mean, you're, you're getting it done, checking it off the list. That's not honoring the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother. There are those of you, your parents have been dead for at least 10 years, you still haven't forgiven. You mean I got to honor them when they're dead? Yeah, it's not looking good for you kids, is it? (laughs) I know. A whole lifetime of honoring mom and dad. And I know they messed up your life. I'm, I'm sure they did. It's what every kid believes. No, you get to honor them, you get to forgive, you get to, you get to bring the name of your father and your mother honor. Murder. Nope. Won't find any bloody knives. Won't find any spent casings in our house. Nope. We did, we did not take the life of anyone. No. When you hated your brother, you murdered him. Your coworker, who you cannot stand. And you commuters have murdered thousands of people. <laughs> oh, I know. Brooks, I'm with you. I don't know how you do it every day, okay? I pray for your soul every day. I don't know how you drive that far every day. Good night. There's got to be a special place in hell. <laughs> Adultery. You didn't honor your marriage vow. You had premarital sex, sex outside of marriage. You engaged in pornography. Oh, no. You looked at a woman twice. See, the first time she walked by, it would have been fine. But the fact that you took a second look, you were headed down someplace in your head, and that's sin. Steal, time, supplies, praise of other people, stealing, lying, 
not putting the best construction. Well, I heard about so-and-so. I mean, this was in a very confidential prayer, but we need to pray for them. That's gossip. That's lying. Not putting the best construction, assuming the worst of your kids. Get over here. I know you did it. You did it last time, so you obviously did it this time. But it was the dog. I don't want to hear the dog in this. But it really was the dog. Dogs don't eat homework. They eat homework, by the way. I just want you to know. <laughs> Covetousness. All kinds. What your neighbors have, what you don't have, what somebody else has, think you deserve. And it goes into your paycheck. You, well, I deserve better. I work harder. I should get a big... It's all covetousness. <laughs> and these are the things. These are the things, friends, that we as Christians are perceived by unbelievers in the rest of the world as the only things we care about. I mean, look at your demeanor right now. Pastor, you did a good job, man. I feel about it. Two inches tall, okay. But yeah, I just want to feel bad. Oh, that's right. Christians are supposed to feel bad about their sin. No! You're just not supposed to sin. But we don't dwell on it left and right, from top to bottom, from morning until night. Because Jesus has come to set you free. Again, what, what the point Paul is getting to is that by his grace... By His grace you've been released. By His grace you are righteous. By His grace you have life. And we are not meant to call and be called to moan about all of the things we do not do. No, we're called to be forgiven. To be justified. And when we choose not to, when we choose not to live in God's grace, then He says, well, then I hope you're not like generations before. You know what happened? Here's the quote. This is from Habakkuk 1, verse 5. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. You know what he did? He banished the entire nation of Israel to Babylon. Watch and, watch and see what I do. You don't want to follow my rules? You don't want to live in my grace? <laughs> Fine. I'll banish you because all you care about is the law. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. You know what? That's kind of different than the other rabbis that used to speak. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about something that is giving life. They don't just pound the law over and over and over. We think we want to hear about this next week. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who, walked, who talked with them and urged them to continue to follow the law. No. To continue in the grace of God. If you leave here on a Sunday and, man, pastor, hey, you really pounded the law. Now I know how to live. Then I have missed I have messed it up, and I owe you an apology. God is not up there thundering, stomping his foot, going, when are these people going to live better? Oh, he cares about his law. It's just that it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, which means you're free to live 
in the grace of God. What does it mean to live in the grace of God? I know you're asking that. Ask that to the person next to you. What does it mean to live in the grace of God? Just do that right now. Because I know you're asking it in your brain. Just verbalize that sucker. We're just going to call it out this morning. How many of you are literally going, I have no idea what it means to live in the grace of God? Just go ahead, raise your hand. Because I know it's a bunch of you. I know it's more than that. Come on. That's exactly. So we got to start on the same page here. We're Christians who go, oh no, I know what it means to live in the grace of God. It means that I'm forgiven and then I do good. Now, living in the grace of God is being on your knees dying. Living in the grace of God is being on your knees dying and saying, God, I don't, I don't do it right. I'm a screw up. And God going, mm-hmm, you're forgiven. Okay, God, so raise me up and tell me what I need to do better. No, live in my grace, which means let God's grace wash over you and simply be in his grace. No, I hear you, pastor, but what do I do? No. Be in it. It's like being in a warm mud bath. You ever taken one of those? You just, mmm. Ah, you just put it up. You guys don't do those? Hmm. All right. How about when you put lotion on, your skin's really dry, and you put, and it's, oh, that's not, that's not. Or you put a warm towel around, and it's, oh, that's cozy. Oh, that's good. You wrap up in a blanket in front of a fire on a cold winter day. You got a little cup of soup or coffee, and you just, mm, from the inside out, I'm warm. That's what it means to be in the grace of God. And I know that doesn't fulfill your soul. I know that doesn't, but what are the marching orders? <laughs> Die, repent, and let Him grace you. Because what will happen is that His grace begins to take over. His grace, His forgiveness, His love, His caringness, your passion, your desires, they become the things of God. And they become the things that start to exude out of you. And you can't push them out. They just come out. They fall out, as some people say. I woke up this morning and I loved my husband. I can't even believe it. <laughs> I know. I said, you should have heard his phone call back to me. No. We are in such a desire to manufacture it, to make it happen, we don't just let God do it. Because the mark of a disciple is one that is being discipled by the grace of Jesus, which means it takes over those lawless places in our lives, those deficient places in our lives where we aren't loving and kind and caring, and when we murder, kill, kill steal, and destroy, when we don't honor our vows or honor our God or honor our parents or honor our spouse, grace takes over. Well, you don't know my wife. Well, you don't know my husband. Well, you don't know my boss. Well, you don't know my neighbor. Well, you don't know my kids. 
quit thwarting the Holy Spirit with that phrase. To live in the grace of God is to let Him work through you, to let Him grace the people around you. Now, yes, are you going to have to shut your mouth? Probably. Instead of reacting and speaking the way that you normally do, let Jesus do it. And until Jesus gives you those words, yeah, shut your mouth. And don't go where you know sin easily abounds. And by keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, it simply says, I'm going to live in your grace until your grace has taken over that area of my life. You want to know the areas of life that God is dying to work on? It's the things that cause you the most angst. When you get mad at other people for doing it, nine times out of ten, it's because you struggle with it. And if you're not struggling with it yet, let it be a clue. If you're mad about somebody else doing it, and you don't think you have that problem, I'm betting that God <laughs> wants you to realize it's your problem too. You see, to live in God's grace means to be humble, it means to receive, and it means to wait. It means to wait. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the Word of God. <laughs> you think? Because after a week's worth of people hearing it going, man, church did not at all sound like it is normally sounded like. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Yeah, because when you start talking about grace and forgiveness and love, there are plenty of other churches that are really good about following the laws. No drinking, no dancing, no having fun, smile only as loudly as possible, no laughter. There are plenty of churches that are alive and well today because people want to live by the law. You start speaking grace into, lives, into the lives of people, people get nervous because it's different from what they grew up with. Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first, but since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Thank you very much, Paul says. If you don't want to change, that's fine. If all you want to hear are sermon after sermon of telling you how to do your marriage better or how to live your life better, that's fine. It's not me. It can't be anymore. God's love, His grace, His peace, His mercy. Yeah, we'll call out sin because that's what the Holy Scripture does. But we're not going to live there anymore. We're not going to measure the things that the church has always measured. Do we have fewer sinners than what we did before? No. This should be a place abundant and ripe with sinners who are graced by the grace of Jesus Christ on a daily basis and who are changed not because of the law but because of God's love. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Friends in Christ. Your calling is this. As a disciple in Jesus Christ, you are called to disciple. If you are not actively walking along somebody, your kids, your spouse, your neighbor, your co-worker, I'm not sure you're a disciple. A disciple receives God's grace, gives God's grace, and brings it out in the people around them. That's what a disciple does. And you are called to be his disciples, a light to the Gentiles, which means God has you placed with your neighbors and the co-worker you can't stand. 
and the family members you don't want to see at Thanksgiving. You are there to be a light. Not a finger wagger, but a light. With the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.